What's up, everybody? It's the Roundtable Sports Podcast. My name is Taylor McLean, and today we're going to take a look at the Colts' 44-27 victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. I wanted to watch this game because I had questions about both these teams and how I was going to feel about starting these players in the fantasy playoffs. And I think I got some answers as far as what I think about these players now and how I think I'm going to think about them for next year as well. So we're going to go over both teams, get a feel for where we're at with everybody, and then try to win the second round of the fantasy playoffs. How about that? So let's start off with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, Phillip Rivers was able to sit back and throw the ball today. Didn't have a lot of pressure on him to throw the ball quickly or to throw the ball you know, beyond what he's comfortable with. And it definitely worked for the Colts, no doubt. I have a feeling that's one of the reasons that the Oakland coordinator got fired after the game was that there was absolutely no pressure put on the quarterback. And to kind of address that part of it real quick, as far as the firing goes, you know, certainly I don't feel like that the unit has played well at any point necessarily they have kind of average level talent at best so making him the scapegoat does feel a little messed up but it's not like the defense have been playing well and you know somebody had to go it doesn't feel like they were going to retain him anyway so might as well get a look at someone else see if it kind of gives you a little juice and maybe you backdoor your way into the playoffs so I guess why not if you're going to go there eventually anyway, then why not go ahead, give Rod Marinelli a look. Although I can tell you with some experience that I don't think this is going to be a situation where, you know, it really buoys the defense any, unless, you know, they do get that fired coach bump. Now the fired coach bump is kind of like in walking dead. When somebody gets bit, they know they're going to become a zombie, but that means they can just be like, kill everybody you know they're it's like they're a superhuman they don't have to worry about the zombies biting them so they go off and they save somebody or you know something happens firing of a coach is similar in that you know they've been bit the coach is fired hey let's go out there and prove that it wasn't our fault let's put this extra level of effort in let's put this on tape to show that it actually was him not us happened to detroit happens all the time you know it happened with the Houston Texans as well with Bill O'Brien when they fired him it's kind of happening with the Atlanta Falcons to this point so I think they're hoping that that kind of spurs them on and gets them to the next level as far as the Raiders firing the defensive coordinator so we'll see if the zombie uh if the zombie defense can come back but today you know when you let Phillip Rivers stay upright like he was that's not a, still a great scenario. You got to get to him. You got to get him off his mark. He's a statue back there, so you should know where you're rushing to. And when you're doing that as a defensive lineman, it makes all the difference to have a, a stationary target you're going after versus a mobile one. Because a mobile one, like Kyler Murray, you get back there, he might juke you, he might just run away from you or whatever. So you got to pressure every quarterback. That's the key to most NFL games, but especially Phillip Rivers at this point, because if you can, you know, if you can get in his face, it's not pretty, and it really stifles the Colts' offense. Now, today, on this day, 
And it seems like for the last couple of weeks, the Raiders haven't had enough juice to do stuff like that. They had had a better overall pass rush, but at the same time, it just hasn't really lived up at this time. So we'll have to see kind of how that, how it plays out from here. Now the Texans don't exactly have a great pass rush outside of JJ Watt for next week, as far as Phillip rivers goes. So that's something to look out for. I think that'll be a good matchup for the Colts. It was last time as well. So we'll see if they can continue that they just played this team in their home two weeks ago. So it'll be in a dome. You know, I love that in Indianapolis. And I got to think that the Colts options that you have probably will be able to continue, but you also have to remember that you've got the Steelers the week after that. So it may not be quite as pretty when they play the Steelers. So that's a tough matchup in the second part, but I got to think that they're able to take advantage of the Texans this week. So while it might get you there, you might be in trouble once you get there. So we'll see how that plays out. But for right now, if you're looking at Jonathan Taylor, T.Y. and the like, I think you're going to be okay for this week at the very least. Now, like I said, for Phillip Rivers, you know, I do think he's kind of at the end. If this isn't his last year, next one is for sure. But he still is offering enough to support options within this offense and keep the offense moving, no doubt. Like I said, it's ultra important that they keep him upright and keep him protected. I'm going to be monitoring Anthony Costanzo's health, you know, their left tackle, because that's a big deal. They lost LaRaven Clark, and so their swing tackle, and they had to have Chaz Green in there for a little while. That was scary. Anytime you see Chaz Green in your game, you know something's really wrong with your team. And they actually ended up kicking out Quentin Nelson, the left tackle, at a certain point. So, yeah, super important. At least they've got that in their back pocket as far as not putting Chaz Green out there. But, you know, it is something to monitor, and we want to see kind of how the thing, how everything comes out as far as his injury goes because that is super important to Phillip Rivers and the passing game as well as the running game options. You know, offensive line, it's about continuity. It's about moving as a unit. So when you see a team that's running the ball well late in the year, typically that corresponds with, yes, a decent running back, but more often than not, that coincides with the offensive line remaining healthy. So in the years that the Cowboys were well, their offensive line remained healthy and they were able to run the ball with a good amount of fervor. Same thing with the Colts to this point. You know, if they are able to keep the unit together, they should be able to run the ball, and they want to run the ball, no doubt. They know that they need to run the ball to keep Phillip Rivers, kind of keep the pressure off of him a bit because, I mean, it doesn't need to be him throwing the ball 50 times a game, and they absolutely know that. And they play it out every week, so that's definitely something they're looking to do, and that's why it's so important for them more than some other teams to get up and to start you know, really pounding away on that team. So we're talking about who did the pounding for the Colts, and it's finally been a situation where Jonathan Taylor has been able to get in there and thrive. Now, he didn't fumble. That's the big one. And that is something that you have to keep in mind is they have grounded him a couple of times when he fumbled. So they took him out of the game. They used their other backs, and it wasn't pretty for anyone that started him in those games because he just didn't really – go off after that. So they've got Naheem Hines. They've got Jordan Wilkins behind him, and they're not afraid to use them. But they dialed back the Jordan Wilkins a ton this week and really gave that to Jonathan, really kind of gave a lot of the work to Jonathan that Naheem's might have got 
in the in other weeks as well. They're still mixing Naheem Hines in there, especially in the passing game work. So Jonathan did catch two balls on his two targets. We love to see that, but Naheem's had four on four targets for approximately the same amount of yards, but still they use Naheem Hines a little more than I like, especially when they get down. Now they got up in this game, so they were more apt to use Jonathan Taylor. And it does give me a little bit of pause as far as Jonathan Taylor goes, because a lot of the carries came when they were trying to put Oakland away. So does he still get the 22 touches, you know, in a game that's more tightly contested or where they get down? Specifically, I'm thinking about not next week, but the next week when it comes to the Steelers, how confident am I going to feel that they're going to be able to use Jonathan Taylor in that way and that he's going to be successful when there is this downside that he might be not as insulated from a game script as you'd like. You know, you like your running backs to catch balls because that means no matter what happens in the game, they're going to be involved. So Christian McCaffrey is so valuable because no matter what, he's getting the ball. They feature him. And the, and the Colts have featured Jonathan Taylor more and more as the weeks have gone on. They kind of telegraphed this a bit up into a point, and then it fell off when he, when he fumbled and the like, and they just kind of have been ramping it back and up and back up. But I can tell you from the eye test standpoint, you can definitely tell he's their best back. You can definitely tell that he gives them the best chance to win. He just has to keep the ball off the turf and keep you know, keeping their trust. So it does make it a little bit more tenuous situations than some of the other running back situations you could possibly have. But if you've made it to this point, I got to think you're starting him against the Texans, no doubt. It's just I, w- I hope that I see just the kind of crushing performance, first of all, for my plant fantasy playoff results, but also so that I- people can have confidence in starting him against the Steelers as well in Pittsburgh. So that's another thing is that one will be outside. Maybe that – favors Jonathan Taylor a little bit more that it would be outside so they have to run the ball more but that Pittsburgh Steelers defense is tough even without Devin White and without Bud Dupree they're still tough so I'll be monitoring that as well for this game because like I said I have stuff riding on this team Jonathan Taylor absolutely starting him you got to keep your fingers crossed though that everything goes right because if the game script goes right these are the kind of results we can see where he turns it into 150 yards and two touchdowns And they did give him the ball down on the goal line, too. That was beautiful. It wasn't just the 62-yard touchdown. He got him a nice one-yard touchdown as well. So that was beautiful, and that's what you want to see in your running back, especially the ones that are more game script dependent. You want that to be a part of that is that, yeah, when they get down there, they give him the ball. Although it was more of a wildcat scenario, still, he got the ball and he did plenty with it. And I got to think they're seeing the film and knowing that this is their most explosive guy. They've just got to trust him. So it seems like the trust has been building and it seems like they're finally ready to kind of unleash the beast. So we'll hope that that's what they've been telegraphing and that's what's going to happen from here. Same thing with T.Y. Hilton. Certainly the two first half touchdowns had everybody who started him feeling good, no doubt. Seven targets led the team. You know, there was only 27 targets overall today. So you know, for him to get seven of them, that's what we like to see. We like to see a nice target share. And, you know, if they should get down, it could be even be bigger. He's definitely felt like he was back the last couple of weeks, and this didn't hurt anything as far as that goes. So it's an exciting proposition for those who were struggling at wide receiver and needed to have someone step in. And, and you know, he hadn't really done much up until that point. So it does give me a little bit of pause 
that it's happening now and you have to trust it in the fantasy playoffs. But if you're desperate like that, you're desperate like that and you got to go with it. A big portion of why I watched this game was for Jonathan Taylor, sure. But the other part was to really confirm what I was seeing with T.Y. Is he involved? Is, he something, is it something that's sustainable as far as this production goes? And I think it is. And especially versus the Texans, who he just eats their lunch historically. So, yes, they've played them once already. And, yeah, maybe they try to take T.Y. Hilton away. But I got to think they're going to be more focused on stopping the run. And that's going to lead to T.Y. being able to do what he did. Now, it might not be two touchdowns, but hopefully he'll be able to keep the ball rolling for those that are kind of riding that train from the last couple of weeks. And, of course, the other options don't really look all that usable. Michael Pittman got unlucky that he didn't catch a touchdown pass today. He had an opportunity, but it's just a little bit too boomer bust for me to think about anybody. And then on the tight end end, you know, they just have too many cooks in the kitchen. Mo Alley, Trey Burton, Jack Doyle, they're all splitting snaps. This makes it all a little untenable when this isn't a prolific passing situation to really look to anybody else. But T.Y., absolutely, I'm still riding the train. The fact he's the de facto, you know, number one option, and Philip is re- looking for him as such. But like I said, they got up. You know, they didn't have to really push themselves, so that's the reason for the targets when there was only 27 targets to begin with. <laughs> Let's switch over to the Las Vegas Raiders. And you know, when I first saw the 44 to 27 score, it didn't really feel to me like when I watched it over Red Zone because you know they updated us pretty regularly on this game. It didn't really feel to me like the score really gave me what had happened. And then when I watched the game, it was a lot closer than 44 to 27 would indicate, even with the late score by Derek Carr. So it did seem like the Raiders played this better than you might have thought. The big thing was the interceptions for the Colts. They had an immaculate, beautiful, beautiful pick in the end zone to kind of get themselves going as far as getting up in this game for the Colts. So there was that, absolutely. You know, Waller tried to go get it, but the guy was just a little bit too far in front of him, made a nice one-handed catch. It was very beautiful. So got to give him credit on that one. And then the other interception was off the hands of someone and went right to the guy, and they scored a pick six. So that really iced the game, no doubt. The Raiders aren't really set up for a big comeback. You know, with the defensive touchdown, it did give it a little bit more of an air of a blowout than it really felt like when you were watching the game. It felt a lot closer than this. But at the same time, it's, you know, the Colts turned it on in the second half and, you know, got the pick. They kept being able to run the ball and it got stronger. So kudos to them. Absolutely. The Colts played strong defense today, too. There was tight coverage, you know, on on the field when Derek Carr threw the ball. They did a good job of stopping the run as well. So it was an overall great performance by the Colts' defense. Now, great might be pushing it, but they definitely had it going on. The picks were beautiful, so maybe maybe that one pick even pushes it to great. It was just that good. It's hard for me to put this on Derek, but at the same time, his Dinkin and Duncan ways were kind of back. They didn't get to take a whole lot of shots down the field, which is by design. The Colts are one of the better teams. They play a cover two, so a lot of times they have help over the top as far as the longer passes go, which really hurt the Raiders' offense. You know, they only got to have the one big throw to Nelson Aguilar, really, that was down the field. So 
when you're able to do that to the Raiders, you're able to creep up and play closer to the line of scrimmage a bit. And, you know, it hurts the running game. It hurts the short passing game. So you have to be able to back teams off if you're going to do that. So it's kind of the Raiders' fault that they set it up this way, but they're kind of working with what they've got too. Because Derek Carr, while is serviceable, I don't think he's going to really elevate a team. They would need him to be a team elevating situation for them to really have juice going into the playoffs and really feel like they're a true contender because they're just not a lot of talent on the defense. And the talent they do have on offense is kind of based around the running game. I mean, they have some receivers and they've tried to put, you know, assets into that, but it does take a little time for receivers to develop typically. You know, rugs not being as involved is disappointing, but at the same time, I just think they're working with what they've got. Because I think while Derek Carr certainly shows flashes that he's able to do normal quarterback things, sometimes it's a little lacking in the skills and the way that he run, he does his plays. So I don't know what to point at necessarily. Uh, clearly they pointed at the defensive coordinator as the problem this last time. But, man, it's just not something I was counting on in the first place. And, you know, if you just looked at the box score, 318 yards, two touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown. So it wasn't that bad from a fantasy per- perspective. But from a real-life perspective, it just makes you question whether you can truly win it all with Derek Carr, we'll see. I mean, they're, they're, John Gruden's not going anywhere. Mayock's not going anywhere. We'll see kind of where they go from here, quarterback-wise, Here, where they go from here, you know, as far as surrounding whatever quarterback they go with. But like I said, just don't look at the stats and think, okay, everything's okay here because from an offensive perspective, they're absolutely lacking. Now, can Derek Carr support Darren Waller? Absolutely. He looks for Darren Waller often and it really gives him a nice floor that you know that they're not going to be able to take everything away from you at one time they've tried they've done a decent job sometimes of trying to get to Darren Waller but it's a tough matchup for anybody he's huge he's fast and dudes that are 6'6 don't typically move that fast that's that's the difference okay there's plenty of 6'6 dudes absolutely I mean yeah that's a limited part of the population no doubt but Man, not all of them move like Darren Waller does. So you just have to kind of bake that in to his performance is that, man, he is that good. And when Derek Carr checks down so often and they're trying to feature him, I think that's a good scenario for them going forward. Now, Raiders play tonight. Chargers versus Raiders in the Dome. So we'll see how that goes. Actually, the next two games are at home, so that helps, uh, even though the second one is the Dolphins. And I like the Dolphins a lot on defense. That's not a great matchup for them, even though the Dolphins' strength is based on their secondary, not their front seven. The front seven is pretty good as well, and the coach is good. So I got to think they'll have a pretty decent game plan coming out. So I love the first matchup. Chargers have been, you know, decent on defense when they have Joey Bosa, and maybe Joey Bosa is disruptive enough to kind of disrupt the offense for everybody. But I like that matchup a lot more than I like the Dolphins, absolutely. But still, with the tight end landscape the way it is and with the way Darren Waller has been playing, you're never stepping away from Darren Waller at this point. So he's in there no matter what. Um, Derek Carr, obviously I don't think that was something you were counting on in the first place outside of two quarterback leagues. And if he can continue to throw like this if they're down, then yeah, he's probably going to do something for you as a quarterback too. And uh, certainly I don't mind having him as a quarterback three in my best ball leagues, no doubt. 
but still not great for real life. And it's going to be an interesting off season to see kind of what John Gruden and, and Mayock do because they can draft. So we'll see kind of where they draft and what they do with their money. But I got to think that they're kind of looking around and kind of trying to see what their options are in a lot of different ways on offense. We're definitely starting Darren Waller. That's not an issue. It could have been a bigger day for him as well. You know, he, the interception in the end zone was going to him, and it was a situation where had the guy not been so close, he probably would have got it and had a touchdown there. And his targets in the red zone have increased tenfold this year. So, you know, I'm excited about that part of it, absolutely. I'm Maybe am I excited about Nelson Aguilar? He does seem to be the number one receiver in this offense. And, you know, he, got, he was the only one to really get super loose today other than a nice Fabian Moreau kind of fluke-type pass where, where Fabian actually did something good with the ball, absolutely. But when you've got Waller in there, that's not something you can count on no matter what. I'm not really looking to Fabian Moreau for much. It's not as a tenable situation as you would like, you know, especially when the Raiders want to run the ball. So them throwing the, this much isn't really in the cards exactly. But if you're going to have to start anybody and you have to have somebody with the pulse at wide receiver, I think Nelson Aguilar would be the Raider that I look at. I mean, it's not just the total today. He is the one that more, most consistently gets down the field. And while they drafted Henry Ruggs, they're just not featuring him in the same way, which is disappointing, no doubt, certainly you have high hopes for a burner like that, and it's unfortunate that it's on a team where, you know, they don't really throw the ball as much as a prolific offense that throws the ball a lot would. So it is a little bit more traditional. They're trying to set up more of a traditional-type scenario as far as the Raiders' offense goes. So, like I said, it's not something that I'm super excited about, but if I was going to start one of them, it would be Nelson Aguilar. Maybe he's got a better price in, you know, DFS or something, but I guess we'll get to see tonight. As far as the rushing game goes, and Josh Jacobs obviously is who we're talking about, you know, I have been super disappointed in what I thought Josh Jacobs could be this year. You know, they came out before the season, said they were going to feature him more, said he was going to be more involved in the passing game and the like, and he did catch three for five, and he did drop one for sure that I'm aware of, but it must be a situation where they just don't trust him as much in those scenarios because they do put in Jalen Richard. They did have him in kind of when they were in catch up mode. So that's an issue. You know, when you're not getting as many of the touches as you probably could corral, you know, they targeted Jalen Richard five times. So if Jacobs was getting 10 targets in the passing game, it'd be incredible. You know, he'd be insulated from games like this. Because in games where they get down, he kind of gets pushed to the side. So you can't really have that when you're trying to make the fantasy playoffs and it makes it a more tenuous situation. Then it's kind of like the same thing as Jonathan Taylor. It kind of gives me that same amount of pause, but the Colts are actually good and they actually have a defense that's good. And so they might actually get up on people. But uh, from the Raiders aspect, It's not as good. It hasn't been as good. And it just hasn't come together like we thought it might for Jacobs, which is probably going to lead him to be drafted a little bit lower than this last year, absolutely. So instead of being the end of the first, uh, start of the second, maybe even the end of the second, it's probably going to filter him down more into the third or fourth because he'll still be the starting running back and he'll still be young and there'll still be hope. But I'm not near as hopeful 
for the way that they've been using him because they had an opportunity to feature him more this year and they just haven't done so. And it's not like the talent behind him is all that special. Devontae Booker had a chance to run with this backfield and didn't. And it's just not something that I get excited about outside of that. And when I'm not, and typically that means the other team, the team itself isn't either, then it's a little disturbing to see them not use Jacobs more in the passing game and just overall. So not a great scenario. It's not something I'm super excited about going forward. You know, of course that means he'll score two touchdowns against the chargers today, but if you had him last week, you probably didn't make it tough times. Certainly didn't work out the way we had hoped and we'll need to see a lot more telegraphing of him being more involved before I really start jumping up there and getting him in the second round and the like, cause it's been overall disappointment. Absolutely. There's been a couple of games, but not what I was expecting. You want your running backs to be featured. You want them to be a part of the offense, no matter what you notice when the Minnesota Vikings turned it around, they started featuring Dalvin cook started purposely trying to get him in space. They started really thinking about it. And if the Raiders would do that with some of their better options, like manufacturing touches for Henry Ruggs, where is that? Like, why doesn't he get the ball on a screen and then see if he can house one? I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I haven't been a super big fan of the way that John Gruden has kind of been doing things. So it makes me wonder, you know, who's more to blame? Is it Carr? Is it Gruden? I don't know. We'll have to see kind of what they come out with, you know, in the offseason and what they kind of telegraph. But I don't think that Jacobs is going to be one of my targets, although Waller will be. Well, that's what I've got for this game. Like, listen, subscribe. And as I've been saying for weeks, if you haven't done so already, go back, download the podcast. I know you've already listened if you're already here, but the download is the one that counts, not the listen. So while I appreciate it, and that's going to lead to you downloading more podcasts down the line, certainly let me know you're here. Look out for the YouTube videos as well so you can kind of see what I see.